Welcome to Pints and Pelvic Floors, a podcast designed to normalize the discussion around all things pee, poop, sex, and more. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Noble, owner of Pelvic Pride Physical Therapy and Wellness, an LGBTQ-owned transgender safe space and clinic for all. Grab a pint and come as you are as we uncover the myths around our genitals and destigmatize normal body functions, as well as normalize asking for help. So raise your glass because it's a beautiful day to save pelvic floors. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Pints and Pelvic Floors, the podcast. I'm Dr. Joy, your host, and I am glad you are here. I hope you've been enjoying the episodes lately. This is number 16. Um, I know we're early on in the game, but I got a letter or like an email from our podcast host that we hit 250 downloads, which I think is pretty cool. Um, I got that when only episode 14 was out. So that's pretty cool. I think that's pretty awesome of, you know, how many downloads we can have compared to how many episodes we have. So I appreciate everyone who still is listening. Um, I also appreciate all of you who are pick and choosing the episodes that you care about. Um, I don't blame you. I would do the same thing. Sometimes I skip podcast episodes of someone I really enjoy listening to if the topic just isn't for me. Um, So today we are going to talk about the five different types of urinary incontinence. Um, This is a cool topic in that it helps everyone. Um, Sometimes when we do things a little bit more specific, like the return to running postpartum, if you're not postpartum, you're not really interested in running, may not feel like it's super applicable to you. So hopefully this one is good for everyone. Um, incontinence is something that can happen to everyone, no matter what their pelvis uh, looks like, no matter if they've had babies or not. Um, it's something that really can just be, you know, a problem that we all unfortunately can share in on. So we'll talk through the different types of incontinences and then um, kind of how pelvic floor PT out. So that's kind of what we have coming up. Um, as far as everything else goes, I can't believe the year is almost over. Um, today, the day this is dropping is Halloween. So we are one more holiday closer to the end of the year. And we just wrapped up a pretty busy month. We had three yoga workshops um, in this month with the womb room, which was a lot of fun. We were um, joining Brielle Weber, who is an awesome um, doula nurse um, in school to become a midwife. So really just um, a really fun person that I've been able to partner with in the community. And that's about it. We have a workshop coming up this coming month in November. We have another one in December. They're both early in the month. So hopefully we get them out of the way before the holidays hit and things get a little too hectic. Um, I think other big updates, not a whole lot going on. Um, Just kind of wrapping up the year for 2023. It has been our full year in this clinic. Um, we celebrate that this coming Friday. So we'll be, um, hopefully doing some goodies at the clinic and, um, some pictures and balloons and all sorts of fun stuff to celebrate that. So anyway, let's get into our topic, the five different types of urinary incontinence. Number one, stress incontinence. Stress incontinence is probably one of the ones we think of the most. Um, this is the, you know, little bit of leakage and and incontinence can be a few drops. Maybe it gets the underwear wet or a pad wet. It can be as much as, um, you know, wetting your clothing or you have to change your clothes. And so stress incontinence occurs when we have an increase in intra-abdominal pressure, um, meaning the pressure that is occurring between the diaphragm and the pelvic floor. And that is increased to a point that our pelvic floor muscles aren't able to engage and hold or beat that pressure. We have a leak. This happens a lot with things like coughing, laughing, sneezing, um, squatting, lifting up things, maybe a laundry basket, maybe a little one, uh, maybe a weight, things like that. 
exercise. We see this a lot with our patients who enjoy doing things like HIIT workouts. Um, maybe it's jumping, jumping up in the air, landing, um, even with load transfer. So when we think of shifting weight from one foot to another, some people are kind of like, why does that matter? Well, if you like to run, running is really just going from single leg stance to single leg stance. And so it's transferring load of all your body weight from one leg to the other and back. So our body's ability to support the pelvic floor and support those, um, the, the urinary or the bladder via the urethra uh, is super important because as that pressure occurs, that stress, we need to make sure that we are able to close. So that's stress incontinence. Um, typically we see this occurring because a patient is either having weakness of the pelvic floor, they are having issues coordinating the pelvic floor, or uh, again, they're not managing that pressure in an appropriate manner, and they're not able to overcome the increase in intra-abdominal pressure with the pressure created in the pelvic floor muscles via that strength and endurance. Type number two is urge incontinence. So this is probably the second most common one we see. Um, urge incontinence is when we leak, if we have a sudden need to go to the bathroom. So um, maybe we have been delaying the going because we're in the middle of a meeting or maybe teachers. I see this all with my teachers and my nurses. They can't sneak away yet from um, whatever it is they're doing for work. And so they hold it, hold it, hold it. And that urge gets so strong. And again, we're not able to um, engage the muscles and have the endurance or the strength to overcome the urge that hits us. And so um, patients that have urge incontinence, a lot of times they'll also complain of other things like they're in the bathroom frequently. Um, maybe their bladder spasms or they get like low belly pain or even like some UTI-like symptoms. And so these are also things that we are always keeping an eye on that uh, maybe it's a UTI symptom and they think that that's what it is. They call the doctor maybe once or before few times before they've been tested and they're positive, in fact, for um, bacteria and so they get an antibiotic. But then it just keeps happening. And instead of it being a true UTI, it's actually some issues with the pelvic floor muscles relating or kind of going into this urge incontinence zone. Um, but they're just constantly thinking it's UTI. So we do a lot of screening to say, hey, when was the last time your doctor actually pulled you in and tested your urine? Or are they just leaning on the fact that you've always been positive or the couple times they tested you last you were positive. So it's just easy to call the antibiotic in. So um, patients with urgent continence like this typically have an overactive pelvic floor. Their muscles are kind of spasmed or tight. Um, they can definitely have weakness. And, and remember, we've talked about in a previous episode, um, I'll link that below, the tight versus weak pelvic floor, um, they both can exist. So it's important that we're keeping that in mind when we're looking at, um, you know, why this might be happening and giving us that urgent continence. Other things are when we're going frequently, we're training our bladder not to hold as much urine as it can. And so we're getting a signal a lot faster. So it's another thing we're going to talk through when we're looking at urgent content. Um, number three is kind of a, I don't want to, it's not a silly one. It's just, we get this a lot um, with patients. It's called mixed incontinence. And so it's a combo of both stress and urge. So maybe we are having that coughing, laughing, sneezing, jumping, lifting issue. But we're also having that strong need to go, got to go frequently, um, getting the heavy urges to go to the restroom, and we're having leakage before we make it. So that's more of the mixed side of things. Um, you know, it's going to be a mix of treatment that goes along with it, because again, we're looking at are we going too frequently? Is our bladder in spasm? 
Are pelvic floor muscles weak? Are they tight? You know, what is going on? So that's some of the things we're going to look for in pelvic floor PT to help. Um, but in this case, we're having to manage both urge and stress at the same time. Next is functional. Functional leakage is happening due to environmental factors, um, not necessarily related to the bladder or the pelvic floor, but maybe it's things like not getting to the toilet on time. Um, this could be due to things like balance issues, mobility issues, um, muscle weakness, or coordination issues that impact things like donning and doffing your clothing, so being able to put stuff on and off. Um, maybe even environmental barriers like rugs or things like that can be part of it. And so um, in the PT world, this is more where we kind of put on um, our functional hats. We lean a little bit into our OT friends and we say, okay, how can we better manage this? And this is again where, you know, pelvic PT has been such a, a known terminology, but there's also pelvic OTs out there. And this is a very strong suit for them as being able to pull function in as well. So. This is where we may talk about things like how can we work on from the PT, general PT perspective, um, the mobility and the balance. Maybe we're working on strengthening exercises to improve a patient's ability to sit to stand. So to transfer um, out of the chair they might be in or the, the furniture they might be on and then working on their balance, and their strength to get to the restroom on time. Um, maybe we're considering things like, is it uh, trouble with managing the clothing that they're wearing? Can we discuss um, an alternative clothing style. Maybe it's stretchy pants that they can pull down instead of a button and a zipper they have to undo. Um, and then also things like clearing the obstacles in the way. I have patients that I work with this all the time. I have one in particular, I'm treating for pelvic floor things, but she had a knee surgery pop up and she's, um, you know, she's over 50 years old. And so it didn't matter what her knee surgery was for, but we were still having the conversations of, hey, let's talk about where are the pots and pans in your house? Are they somewhere or is there any cooking utensils you have to either bend over or lift high, reach high up? Maybe we pull them down and get them closer to you during this time of recovery for your knee surgery. Are there rugs, cords, anything that might trip you up or catch you, small animals in the house? Um, are there clothing that are in places in the closet or in the drawers that need to be moved so you have better access to them? I did this with a patient having a knee surgery and I wasn't even treating for her knee but I'm a PT and I know these things and it's something we, it's important to talk about. So why not talk to our pelvic patients in the same manner? Hey, you're having these issues. Let's talk about your home setup. Similarly, are we sitting you know, in a room that's farther away from the bathroom? Maybe we could go to a closer one as we're building our strength and then we can move back to the room we prefer. Um, again, some of the things I discussed earlier, we're looking at the rugs, the furniture, um, our balance and our ability to move out of the, the seats that we're in and get to the restroom safer and faster. We can talk about all that stuff and modifications that can be made to support our patients just the same. So um, while we may not be directly working on bladder or pelvic floor issues in particular, um, we are working on some of the other things that are barriers that are resulting in a patient not getting to the bathroom in time. We'll always make sure that there's not an un other underlying issue too. So sometimes we might have like a functional with an urge or functional with a stress and we'll still, you know, treat it from, from all ends. Our last kind is overflow incontinence. So this is what happens when our bladder has overfilled. And then once it's at that point, the bladder isn't able to effectively empty. Um, we maybe are going to the bathroom a lot. Only a few, um, you know, few voids are happening. Small amount is coming out at any given time. We might have like urinary hesitancy, a weaker stream. Um, maybe we're having to strain to get this out. And so we have to figure out why is this happening. Um, 
we often see this with neurologic issues. So we're always, you know, screening for that. Um, if there's any kind of blockage, so maybe someone's got like a stricture or a blockage occurring in the urethra itself, which is impacting how we're able to get urine out. And so when we go back to the basics, our bladder should hold four to 600 milliliters of fluid roughly. Well, if your bladder is holding like five to 700, and so there's more than it should be holding, it's holding on to that. And we're only letting a little bit out at a time, but we're still filling back up a lot all the time. Well, that's where we start to get this overflow. It's kind of that, you know, cups just sloshing around and water is just spilling out over it because it's already full. And each time we try to put more in, it's just going. Or like a champagne fountain is another good example. So anyway, really trying to work on getting more out. We have to figure out why is it happening? Is it the neurologic condition? Is it a blockage? Um, is it something like an enlarged prostate, right? That's another blockage or something that could create that stricture, that like sphincteric closure. Um, we see this a lot with our patients who, one, have prostatitis or an enlarged prostate, but then they end up on the other end of more of that stress, urge, incontinence, um, post-prostatectomy. And it can be also just because their muscles aren't engaging appropriately because they've relied on this enlarged prostate for so long to give an extra sphincter control. So another reason we might see this. Um, and the last one's that our muscles of our bladder just aren't working effectively to be able to get the urine out. And so when our bladder muscles the detrusor muscle, the bladder detrusor muscle, when it squeezes or contracts, its job is to contract, increase pressure in the bladder that overtakes the pressure at the sphincter um, and lets the urine out. So we squeeze more on the bladder than we are at the muscles. The muscles let go, the bladder squeezes, the urine comes out. The bladder's not strong enough. It's not going to increase the pressure high enough to overcome the sphincter pressure and the urine can't come out. Um, super important to make sure, you know, that that isn't a problem in this situation. We are working a lot with our other providers, right? We want to know, is it a neurologic condition? Well, we need to get that screened by a neurologist. Um, is there a blockage impacting? Maybe we're reaching out to our Euro and Euro guides to say, Hey, let's take a look at the urethra. What's going on there? Um, maybe we're looking more at the prostate. So again, working with our providers to say, Hey, can we take a look and see if there's any inflammation there? And also back to our neuro friends to see, you know, Hey, is the bladder doing its job? Maybe we're doing like a urinodynamic study. Um, is the innervation appropriate? Are we getting the right signals to get the bladder to do what it's supposed to do, contract and let out the urine? So that is overflow incontinence. Um, again, with all of these different, so we'll go back over them one more time. We have stress incontinence, urge incontinence, mixed incontinence, which is the combo of urge and stress, functional incontinence due to our environment and the areas around us, and then overflow. Um, too much urine in the bladder isn't doing its job effectively. So we are really going to be coming in to figure out, one, what type or types of incontinence are we dealing with? Um, number two, what is the impacting factors here? Again, is it weakness? Is it tightness? Is it coordination? Um, is it pressure management? Is it a timed voiding habit? Are they just daily life habits we need to work on? Um, my teachers, my nurses, my judges, my whoever, um, maybe not waiting so long until it's too late or until we're like really stressed and have to go really bad to get to the bathroom. Um, we're going to talk about our lifestyle things. Again, we talked about a whole body approach. We want to treat head to toe. We want to look at our other lifestyle factors, like our four pillars of pelvic health, stress, sleep, nutrition, and uh, movement. We're also going to talk about what's your life environment like? I ask this all the time. You know, what's your work setup? Are you sitting at a desk all the time? Are you sitting on the couch? Where are you sitting? Can you stand? You get to move around. 
um, things like that. And so we're always looking at different parts of us. Maybe we're screening. What's your home setup like? Are there furniture, rugs, or things in the way that might be impacting? So we're going to be screening for that. And then we're also going to just be considering any of our um, red flags or signs that say, hey, this might be something a little bit bigger going on. Again, like our overflow incontinence, maybe we need to pull in some of our supporters, um, supporting providers like our neurologists and our urology and urogynecologists to see if there's anything they can bring to the table as far as treatment goes. So uh, once we've done that, you know, we're going to be giving you things that we can do in the clinic and away from the clinic to work on strength, coordination, flexibility, um, looking at everything from the diaphragm to the abdominals, the low back, the hips, the pelvic floor, the ankle, um, the whole kinetic chain, and just seeing, is everything doing what it's supposed to? Are muscles strong enough? Can they manage pressure? Can they coordinate? Can they do the job they're designed to do? So, um, you know, we, we do take a whole body approach. We are going to be working to help figure out what is happening, what is the anatomy involved, and then how can we help? And if we aren't the right ones in pelvic therapy to help you, then where can we get you that is the right place to be? So hope you enjoyed this uh, kind of brief overview of the five types of urinary leakage. Um, This is also available as a blog post, so you're welcome to go read that if you would like to. I'll link that in the bottom here for you. Um, And yeah, just figure we bring something a little bit more neutral, a little less um, pregnancy postpartum related. We talk a lot that direction. So this is something kind of in the middle there. Um, we have a couple things coming up. I know we talked about in the last episode or two, um, some things around like the holidays. We'll definitely get into how to manage our pelvic floor throughout the holiday, whether it's stress, it's the food we're eating, the things we're drinking and whatnot, kind of moving towards Thanksgiving. Uh, maybe we'll talk about some grounding techniques coming up soon. Since we're getting into the end of year holidays, which means a little more time with family. Um, and that can be a stressful time of year for many um, in a variety of different ways. And so we got some good topics coming up, but um, not really sure which one we'll go with next. I won't give you a teaser as to the next episode. Um, I'll kind of just feel it out, see what we're, what we're thinking when it's time to record. So hope you enjoyed this episode on the five types of urinary incontinence. And until next time. Cheers. Hey everyone, just a quick reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute providing medical advice or professional services. Please reach out to your primary care provider if you need any assistance.